ring the alarm. I've been through this too long, but I'll be damned. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to be rocking me via stones and no, I'm not feeling it. Uh, Essentially, she's going to profit everything I taught. And so I can't let you go. Uh, That's essentially what happens (laughs) in a nutshell. Blair goes just full Blair. Hello, everyone. This is Alex. And this is Em. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for nostalgic Gen X and millennials and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we love, what we hate, and what was just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. And do a little bit of rewriting where necessary. (laughs) On today's episode, we'll be finishing our review of Gossip Girl, focusing on the second half of the series. As mentioned last week, Gossip Girl wasn't the strongest series in myriad ways, but it lasted for six seasons and well over a hundred episodes. So what was the magic formula? And how did a series about such self-absorbed, flighty, and grossly, grossly wealthy people with mediocre writing do so well for so long? Stay tuned! Um, So we left off at our recap of season three. So let's jump into season four. (sighs) Season four sees more of the very toxic relationship between Chuck and Blair. A relationship that really shouldn't have been a thing, but becomes a thing. And then in the season, Blair finds an escape hatch basically um in the form of prince louis grimaldi um a prince who she becomes engaged and later on married to and you know we low-key want this to work for blair despite a few red flags in that relationship simply because nothing he's doing could ever surpass what chuck has already done to her but the the show very much codes Louis later on as an adversary, as an antagonist to Blair, because, you know, they want her to end up with Chuck. So they use a lot of the plot devices that are used on TVD and the originals. They use the, they put the, put on the bad guy music. They frame the scenes in such a way that we don't root for Louis, and instead we root for her to end up with this incredibly toxic person, Chuck. Right. So at the beginning of season four, uh, we kick it off like the first two episodes are um, in Paris, which shout out. I don't know how in season four, the, the, I don't know how those shows creators convince the CW to give them all that money to go to to go to Paris, but somehow that happened. But I think it's worth it. It's it feels good. Um, it's a it's definitely like I think it's good to sort of get that like that change up 
in the scenery, to be quite honest. It's really nice. Um, and then they bring up that they're going to college again, like sophomore year. And I don't know why, because like they forget, like, I think the show forgets that all these people are in college by, I think the fourth episode, they don't even care anymore. Uh, yeah. But in the, in the first two episodes we're introduced to, to Louis Grimaldi. Um, he's supposed to be like the Prince of Monaco. Uh, like, you know, and Blair's into it because, you know, she's Blair and that's like her whole like big thing. And for the most part, like he's really he's fine. He's very fine. He's very sweet. Emma is right, though, by the sort of, I think, later half of season four into season five, they do do like a there's a character assassination that happens. Um via Louis because what we do we don't learn a lot of his character but what we do learn he but what we do learn he's he's pretty he's just like a pretty decent guy he's a he's not really like mean in any sort of way a lot of things that should be red flags for him he sort of just kind of goes with uh and a lot of things that he shouldn't put up with from Blair he he does uh thinking specifically thinking to I, I think the season four finale which um you know the season four finale is there like Louie and Blair get engaged and she says yes and her and Chuck and then she cheats on him <laughs> and then Blair cheats on Louie with Chuck like has sex with Chuck and you know Chuck feels very, you know, like he's one in in that sort of classic Chuck way. And when he sort of goes up to the place where Louis is supposed to meet Blair before Blair comes up herself to tell Louis that she's going to call off the engagement, you know, Chuck sees him there and he's like, why are you waiting here? And the party's almost over and Louis sort of sitting there and he questions him like, what do you mean? Why am I here? Like Blair said she was coming. So I'm waiting. Like he goes, but you're even in front of all your family and your friends and all these people. He's like, listen, and Louis is like, listen, I trust Blair to make the right decision for us and for herself. Like, you know, he's like, she's scared. She's never been happy. She doesn't know what that's like to be happy. So I get it. But she's going to, do the right thing in the end um which is a really big thing and then chuck it's should... certainly a level of trust that chuck has never shown in her right it, it's never it's it's something he's never shown in her it's something it, it shows like i think a belief in her that like chuck has never had um for her uh so it's and this will be like a, a hallmark of like and that sort of trust or like really trusting Blair to know her own mind. And despite, you know, who she is, cause Blair is all like, I think Blair is like a lot like Seth Cohen and that the strength of Blair is um, the strength of Blair. And I think why we root for Blair is not necessarily because of the care, how the character is written, but because like just the strength of Leighton Meester as an actress is like, I think unmatched on the show. Uh, but 
this will also like sort of come into to that Dan Blair storyline. I think the reason why like both of them end up having a trust and a belief in Blair, Dan even more so, because they just trust her to be herself and 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 really trust like the innate goodness in her, which I think is significant. Right. And, you know, when I think about Chuck and Blair, um, it's really, really hard not to see that as on Blair's part, some type of addiction. Right. Like Chuck treats her like trash and then we make excuses for him. Well, we're 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 expect to make excuses for him because Chuck had a bad childhood. Chuck's daddy was mean to him. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? He's not the only person in that relationship that had a neglectful or an abusive parent or who lacked love in their household growing up. Get the fuck over it. Right. I mean, I even like on the show, like, I mean, Serena is like, that's Lily's parenting. Like, right. Like that's and it's consistently reinforced throughout the show. I mean, since season one, that like Lily was an extremely neglectful parent, sort of leaving her like 10 year old and and six year old um, in like a 10 year old Serena and six year old Eric, just just leaving them in New York City whenever she sort of fell in love or whatever for days on end. Um, Well, well, I don't I don't want to bring Serena into it because she's also a fucked up character, but I'm talking specifically about Nate and um, excuse me, Chuck and Blair. Blair has a, you know, mother who puts her down, a mother who's emotionally distant, a father who checked out on her. You know, she could use the same excuses that Chuck uses to be horrible to him, but she doesn't. It's as if we're supposed to cater to his bad childhood, but not to hers. In its essence, putting Blair in that, you know, what you called it before when we reviewed the originals, that kind of handmaiden role to these really bad men. And she really has no reason of staying with to stay with Chuck other than that. Like she's just addicted to the drama. Oh yeah, that's fair. And like Blair has like like has and Blair has like her own issues and her own sort of like a lot of her own hangups and and things that I think she's trying to work through and oh, yeah, the sort of control she's trying to exert. And it it doesn't essentially the relationship doesn't help anything. <laughs> it it just doesn't help her. It's not like formative for her in any real way. Like she she'd be better off without it. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'm by no means, you guys, trying to say that Blair is a perfect person. She does have a lot of insecurities and hang-ups, like Alex mentioned. But I'm talking specifically about the way that she treats Chuck versus the way that Chuck treats her. You know, last season, this dude tried to literally tried to sell her for a hotel. It's things like that that are not just, like, foibles and quirks of a personality it's just indicative of a really shitty person that doesn't respect you doesn't respect your autonomy and deeply doesn't care about you i think blair's addicted to chuck in the drama of chuck and maybe chuck can lay pipe like that maybe chuck is really fucking fantastic in bed i don't know but i think chuck is addicted to toying with her fucking with somebody and seeing how far he could push them before they don't love him anymore. In a lot of ways, he's like his father, Bart Bass, in that fashion. 
Right. So at least, like, I guess in in that, like, the the characterization is, like, smart and consistent. Um, So then you sort of have, so, like, in this early half of season four, we come, we, we, I, and I had completely forgotten about it. There's, so the whole thing is, is, like, they find Chuck in Paris, and Chuck was sort of, like, about to, because he had been, I think, in Amsterdam previously and was, like, mugged and left for dead and he's found by this like sex worker sex worker with a harder gold uh eva and he brings her back to new york because he has responsibilities in new york <laughs> he has a lot of responsibilities which is you know his hotel and the fortune and the family business and all that drama um so yeah i completely forgot about eva which was who's played by the same girl who plays who was in Harry Potter. I think her name is like Clements Posey. I think that's her name. Um, oh, you mean the one who played Fleur de la Cour? Yes. I, I don't remember her name, but I remember the actress you're talking about. And I had forgotten the Eva storyline too, till you just said it right, <laughs> right. now. Right? <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. So <laughs> um, and so Eva comes and Eva is like, you know, like I said, she's, extremely perfect she you know helps puppies and and you know sings to the birds uh cinderella style and correct me if i'm wrong doesn't her character also suffer a brutal assassination at the hands of the writers later no in fact she she's just smart like honestly she's blair goes you know nuclear and uh essentially is like you know Blair is like, you know, ring the alarm. I've been through this too long, but I'll be damned. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be rocking me via stones. And no, I'm not feeling it. Uh, essentially, she's going to profit everything I taught. And so I can't let you go. Uh, that's essentially what happens <laughs> in a nutshell. Blair goes just full Blair and, um, you know, investigates her past. And uh, she can't come up with anything. So then... I guess when Chuck is getting, so Blair plays on Chuck's old insecurities and all of his stuff with like, and all the sort of his, you know, buttons when it comes to his dad and his mom and his family. And she sort of plays on those experiences and she, okay, I remember this. she leaves like, um, she frames Eva. She, she finds like, Chuck's passport and stuff that like the police had originally found and she hands it to Chuck and she says this is what I found in Eva's suitcase like she knew who you were like this was all you know uh, a ploy like you're like this is your and she's I think she says she's like this is your mom all over again like it's just a joke like and he accuses Eva and and is and is extremely cruel to Eva. Like, and and it, like, and that's the thing. He had been being like really nice, and he had been being like, you know, seemingly like a changed man. And the minute Blair sort of like brings that to him, he's extremely cruel to her. And and that's the thing. Like, Eva had never seen that sort of like cruelty from Chuck. Like, he doesn't. She doesn't know what that looks like. Um, she's only known him as this like nice person. So she sees how extremely cruel he can be. And she's like, you know what? 
nah, I don't want it. I'm good. Like, and even when he finds out that Blair sort of like tricked him, he runs to Eva and is like, wait, I'm sorry. Wait. And she's like, no, please. Like that. Yeah. This is I remember that storyline. And she leaves. And I remember watching it thinking, yeah, that girl's smart. Good, good on her. Yeah. I remember that storyline and I agree that Eva is really, really smart. Um, and I remember watching that storyline and like really hating Blair because Blair and Chuck had done a lot to each other, but she had never been Chuck. And what I mean is it's so like Chuck to have done to a potential love interest of Blair's, what she did with Eva. And in all the seasons since they'd been together, Blair had been like constantly building Chuck up and assuring him that he was good enough for X, Y, Z, good enough for her. And when she saw him with this woman who was such a positive influence on him, and he really was like a change man, you guys, he wasn't just putting on a front forever. She realized that the Chuck who loves her is the most toxic version of him and she would rather have that toxicity if it means having that man. And then she proceeds to basically pull a Chuck and tear him down to bring him back to her. And it is so disgusting. It's, to watch. Watch. it's really ugly to watch. And I'm glad that Eva left and that Louis was driven away. And I hope they find each other and get married because fuck these hoes. That was the episode when I realized that Blair really isn't too good for Chuck. Oh, I just remember thinking like, like, so in the rewatch of it, I was just like, I was like, wow, that's ugly. But I was also like, Ugh, like, I get it. Like, <laughs> like I said, like, right. Cause it's definitely like that ring the alarm, like moment for her. Cause I, and I guess like for her and for her character to me, it made sense because I understand I could mentally get with the idea that like of Blair, like working as hard as she worked and sacrificing as much as she sacrificed and doing as much as she did. Cause she did a lot and for a long time and then sort of just seeing like, and then this other person comes along and it's like, without even trying, they sort of like get all these qualities that you taught and were trying to, to get and trying to like instill in this person. Listen, Blair was not about to be a starter wife. Like she could never be like a starter wife. Like she just doesn't have the mental and emotional capacity for it. And so like, while it was ugly, I understood it. And I felt like it tracked for, for who she is as a person. I get why she did what she did. Um, I'm definitely in agreement with all the points you just made about why she did it. I just think that it's trash that she, in fact, did do it. Um, And that was, I think that was the time when I stopped rooting for her to do better, to do, I'm just like, whatever happens, happens. Because clearly, as much as trash Chuck has hurt her, she knows that's a person he needs to be if he's going to stay with her. And she would rather have him be trash with her than have him be a decent person without her 
all of her desires for him are innately selfish. So have at it. I just stopped giving a fuck at that point. <laughs> right. But you know what? But then there's like, then there's growth. There's, and, and I guess like that's a testament to um, maybe like the show. Cause like there's growth later on in the season. Cause during the Raina plot, when Raina comes in later in the season around episode 13, 14, um, not 13, uh, when Raina comes in episode 12 and then through, and then Chuck legitimately is into Raina, Blair just sort of internalizes. And once Blair realizes that Chuck is legitimately into Raina, she just internalizes and she yeah, just because lets it go. She couldn't do with Raina what she did with Eva. Like, let's not pretend what she did with Eva wasn't, um, wasn't possible directly because Eva was poor and Eva was a sex worker. She can't do that with Reina. You know, you're, you're, she's, you're fucking with the big dog. She would not, she could, what she did with Eva, she couldn't have done with any other rich girl. She had to just sit there and eat her fucking food period. And just watch, just watch him flourish with this girl. (laughs) And I mean, but, like, she could have, though, right? Because Raina ultimately dumps Chuck for Nate for, one, because Nate is the greatest. Like, you guys, Nate is so pure. Um, if I don't he say is. that enough. Like, he's wonderful. The, he's, <laughs> let me tell you something. So, before Chuck comes back in, in season four, there's, like, an episode where, like, we're, when we're introduced to, to Juliet and that dumb storyline that I'm not even going to acknowledge. Um he's and we're introduced to Juliet like so the whole thing is like Nate takes like essentially like his jump off of the night like his his like you know the girl he hooked up with the night before there's like this super expensive like restaurant that he takes her to that's like really really nice and it's like the and it's like apparently like a a brunch spot for like you know who's who of like New York and Juliet's and the girl is like on the phone and like you know she's popping her gum and she's like shut up oh my god like shut up and Nate's just like sort of texting on his phone while she's on her phone and Juliet's just looking at the girl and looking at Nate and then looking at the girl and looking at Nate it's a great bit and Nate's just and Nate just sort of like Nate just sort of shrugs like Ugh, what are you gonna do and Juliet <laughs> sort of like rolls her eyes and then the girl gets up and walks away really quick and then the scene um and then they start talking and Juliet's like you brought her here like really he goes you know she did a lot for me last night why wouldn't I take her out treat her to some good breakfast get her some good food like make sure she's good and then send her on her way and I'm like a lot of y'all need to get on Nate's level like for real (laughs) They really do. And, like, I can't stress this enough. Like, Nate is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a perfect person. But he's a good person. And I don't just mean in comparison to the trash-ass people on this show. Just, like, in life, Nate is a good person. (laughs) Right? Nate is, like, the... Like, if I had to... Like, Nate is the person, like, that you want on your side. Because he's... Like, Nate can be reasoned with. Like, yeah. he's not, he doesn't have and a he, lot in there, but, like, he has some, and, like, it's, his moral compass is turned to north. Like, you know what I mean? It's, like, it's and he really, in that he direction. And he just really cares about people. He just really cares about people. So he some of the minor, so some of the minor plots in, like, season four are, like, Blair and Serena start at Columbia, because, you know, season prior, Serena was doing her white girl finding myself 
um, Strick and Blair was at NYU with Dan. Dan becomes a father for a short period of time when Georgina, resident bad girl, returns with a son in tow and tells him that he's the daddy. That doesn't last for very long, though. And Lily Vander Woodson, Serena and Eric's mom, is on house arrest. I had forgotten that storyline entirely. Um, right. They also because get a cousin, quote unquote, Charlie Rhodes, who might not be who she says she is. Turns out she's not their cousin at all. Right. Um that Lily being on house arrest plot is connected to this larger, dumber plot with like Juliet and um, this person named Ben that we've like never heard of in her whole, in our whole lives. But apparently he's somebody, he's a professor that Serena used to hook up with when she was in high school. So Serena did a lot of things when she was in high school. Remember that type part in Georgina? Like, didn't they like, didn't they? Weren't they with this guy and he overdosed? Like season yeah, one. that's yeah, that's season one. That's the whole big sort of thing for season one. I don't know why she needed a gap year to find herself when she'd been finding herself all over the 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 Upper East Side. But you know, go off, Serena. Be fake deep in season three. But anyway, season four, she's at Columbia, and it's interesting because like her and Blair have like this class they're trying to get into, and Blair. Because why wouldn't you trust your best friend, right? Tell Serena what she's going to do to impress this professor. And then Serena, because she's stupid, you guys. Like, she's never been coded as a smart person like Blair or Dan. Like, she's literally someone who's been coasting off of good looks and money in her family name. She literally jacks what Blair was going to say and takes the last spot in the class. And then she's just like, B, I'm not smart like you. I had no choice but to steal. Yeah, that's sort of her. And it's weird because like season four, and which is how it just shows like the weirdness and the lameness of Serena. Because season four, like you have this sort of then like desire you or you see Serena really start to have this desire to want to be like more but then she doesn't want to put in the work to be more like you know what I mean yeah she just wants to go to like um the the Damon Salvatore school of betterment betterment or the the, the Klaus Michelson school of refinement (laughs) so real so real so, um, if you had to, uh, so season four, good, bad, or basic? That shit was basic, fam. I'm sorry. It was. It was just basic. <laughs> like, there are moments, like, listen, there are moments. Like, the Reyna Thorpe plotline, I think, has its moment. The the time that Tika Sumter is sort of in this show is fun. One, to see a Black person, that was fun. And then two... She gets, like, a significant storyline with, like, her and, like, Chuck and, like, Nate and her dad. And it's a a lot of drama. um, And it's significant. So that's cool. Um, And I think the the Louis, I think the the moments of Louis and Blair are, are fun to watch and they're significant. And I, and then also this Dan Blair romance that's, that's building that starts to now really like build, uh, in season four is also really nice, um, to watch. 
uh, yeah, that we do get like the first inklings of the Blair Dan romance, and I wasn't fucking with it at first, but like I very quickly got on board. I got um, probably same. because <laughs> probably because they're the best actors on the show, right? Like same. I got very I got very on board very quick. Um, I was like, oof, I think I like this. Like, um, and I love Dan sort of like really like I think longing for her. Uh, if I had to pick some iconic episodes or musty episodes of season four, I'm absolutely going to go with the, the season openers, the Paris episodes, uh, Bells du Jour and Double Identity, uh, episode four, A Touch of Ava, uh, episode 11, The Townie, because we get like a lot of Dan and Blair and they're, that, that starts to build up. Episode 12, The Kids Are Not All Right. Episode 14, episode 15, episode 16. Uh, those are Reina's big episodes. Um, and that that's Panic Roommate. It happened one night while you weren't sleeping. Um, and then episode 19, Pretty in Pink. Uh, and then episode 20, the the princess and the frog mm-hmm. and then sorry one more and then episode 21 shattered bass and then episode 22 the wrong goodbye and the princess and the frog is one is that is that horrible like uh episode that like chuck is like almost like is like extremely violent with her or like has this like really violent episode that is like so horrifying to watch um but anyway season five um wait before we get to season five i just have to say this one thing and it's really shady but just allow it you guys (sighs) georgina sparks um played by michelle trachenberg is a character that really shouldn't have been written in Gossip Girl if the writing had been stronger. We use Georgina as a means of making Serena seem not that bad and then um, later engendering sympathy for her. And then, like, when we need a wrench thrown in our plans, you know, again, enter Georgina with a baby for Dan. Things like this... Michelle Trachenberg, if you're out there, sis, you deserve better than to be the character who really should never have been there. And I'm talking about both Georgina and Dawn on Buffy. These characters should have never existed. You deserve better. I'm rooting for you. And I know you have what it takes. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, they sort of use Georgina as like a like a do-sex machina, like a sort of person, like consistently. And it's weird because... The only reason why she works in season one is because there's this large, like, she is used, it's not even her as a a character. It's the plot is this bigger sort of plot that is is building um, to this culmination of, you know, Serena. Um, She's just part of this more, like, of this, like, mystery of what did Serena, what was this bad thing that Serena did? But as, like, a character, she's just, like, she's sort of just, like, whatever. And I guess she's, like, 
she and I guess like we're supposed to think she's shocking because like she does things like because she's like so open about doing coke and like she's so open about like drugging Serena but like you have like a literal rapist on the show like he keeps trying to rape people but um so I don't know so it doesn't feel right like and just because she's openly doing this isn't Serena just like doing this like non-disclosing like she's doing the same shit right yeah Serena's doing the same she's just not doing it as openly yeah she she does she's essentially georgina stops working because the show in general ups the ante of like what all these kids are doing because in that first season everyone's just sort of everyone's like drinks freely everyone is like social drinking but in terms of like doing like hard drugs and like doing like stuff that's like like dangerous dangerous like drugging people the show stays away from until like the that those end those ending uh uh episodes like that back half of that first season um mm-hmm. and when i say dangerous dangerous i mean like um like in terms of like substance abuse uh obviously chuck is dangerous dangerous but um uh mm-hmm. so then once they so once they the show sort of like opens the gate on that it's sort of like meh. like like we know Blair like that's not what Blair does it's not really what Dan does but like it's always implied that's what Chuck and Nate do or well no it's implied that's what Chuck does Nate doesn't really do hard drugs like and then and that's why but then like yeah like I said once it happens like there's no need for her character anymore like it and yeah I mean Michelle Trachtenberg is a good actress. She's been in like lots of indie films. Um, well, not lots, but a, a, a number of which I've seen. Um, you know, she'll always have my heart for being in Nickelodeon's very first movie, um, Harriet the Spy. And she can do, you can do better, sis. You can do better than these roles. And I'm rooting for you. And like, she's still like really, really beautiful still. Like, you can do this. Anyway, let's jump into season five. Yes, season five picks up where, like, Blair is now, like, completely engaged to Louis. Um, And she has spent the summer, I guess, like, in Monaco. Serena went to Los Angeles. And, of course, like, while she was in L.A., she, like, fell into um, a... Like a, like a, uh, oh my God, she just like fell into an assistance job, which like, if you are like in the LA system and uh, know like anything about LA, like that's actually a really, really hard job to get being like an assistant to um, someone important. Cause it usually like means you're like on the, on the way to like doing other important things. Um, and she just sort of falls into it because of course she does. Um, and Chuck and Nate are also in Los Angeles, kind of hanging out. Chuck, there's this dumb plot, and it will be dumb from throughout the entirety of the season, of, like, Chuck trying to feel something, because he doesn't feel anything for Blair anymore, now that she's engaged or whatever, or doesn't have feelings. Oh, my God, it's so dumb. I hate it. And that's sort of, like, where we're at. And then Dan, and then Vanessa published Dan's book, that Dan was gonna not that Dan was intending to never publish. Yeah, Vanessa is a character who she's almost like a manic pixie dream girl light. 
you know, she is shown as having her own goals and ambitions, but they're never expounded upon. She really just always shows up when Dan needs direction in his life. And it's really irritating. She shows up when Dan needs direction. And then when they need somebody to like blame for something. Well, yeah, they, I mean, she, she, and, um, she and Georgina take turns with that. And then later on, um, you know, she falls very much into the role of like the helpmate when we are introduced to Charlie slash Ivy, then she becomes the troublemaker. And then Vanessa can very much like slip into this role of, of, you know, being, you know, Dan's like, I don't know, like Dan's, Dan's conscience, Dan's support team, Dan's one woman cheerleading team. It's exasperating. It's exasperating. And I, and I feel like it's not, nece- it's just not necessary. Cause like the show has already worked. I think the show's already established from season one that Dan is a thoughtful person within and of himself. Um, yes it does <laughs> like <laughs> to an almost annoyingly degree dan is an extremely thoughtful person within and of himself so it, it the fact that vanessa is always coming in to fulfill that role for him is, is strange and off like it worked i think when she was that for nate like it, or in season two some parts of season three ish but now but it's clear like that they they just don't know what to do with her. Yeah, I mean, her character borrows a little bit, a little bit from Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope, and it borrows a little bit from, like, Magical Negro trope, and it borrows a little bit from, like, the Mammy slash Handmaiden trope. And, like, she legit just exists as a, to, to, to further Dan's plot. And I'm just like, okay. I'm, I, like, I don't, I don't even look forward to seeing Vanessa. I'm sorry. This right. is how I feel. I don't look forward to seeing Vanessa. Um, but yeah, his book gets published. Blair gets pregnant with Louis' baby, miscarries. They get married anyway. They divorce, and then her and Dan embark on this full-blown affair. And honestly, I was 100% here for that affair. I was 100% here for things ending with Louis even though they assassinated his character in a way that I didn't like, you know, in a way to basically justify the fact that as Blair, as Louis had mentioned in the last season, Blair doesn't understand happiness and doesn't want it. And instead of coding her that way, the show just shows us that she has quote unquote legit reasons for leaving Louis. And so she embarks on this affair with Dan it's hot. You guys, um, they have a chemistry that, um, she has good chemistry with Chuck. I'll, I'll be honest, but Dan and Serena didn't have that chemistry in my opinion. I think they, it's funny. I don't know that I would categorize. I don't know that I would categorize like Chuck and Blair's like not Chuck and Blair. Yikes. Dan and Blair's chemistry is like hot. But I do think the way it's done is, like, very romantic. Um, And I'm very, I am very, like, much swept away in them. Um, And I don't know why. And I think it's it's annoying. Because I know at the time when it happened, fans were, like, really against it. I know I was against it at first. I was not sure how this was all going to shake out. Fans were, like, really vocal against it. And it shows that, like, the show just didn't, have the like 
cojones to like go through with it because there's a episode where like they code them as being like but you know what in i guess in hindsight maybe i really like that they coded it this way i think there's an episode where they code like dan and blair's like not being like really like sexually compatible but i think i like that in hindsight because i because i think it reinforces that their relationship is real like it's really real and not even they're not sexually compatible it just like takes a while for like them to figure out like what their like groove is uh in that way but i think that's very realistic and i i think i like that actually yeah um so for me it kind of reminded me of how Seth and Summer's relationship was initially coded in the OC when they first started having sex and they had like okay. a string of really bad sexual encounters before things like picked up. And I thought that was honest because he'd ever been with only ever been with like two people before, like Serena and like one night with Vanessa or a couple nights with Vanessa. And she'd only ever been with Chuck. So, like you said, it's realistic and it's honest that they needed to find, like, their rhythm with each other. And, um, you know, while it didn't have the steam of her relationship with Chuck, I thought that their chemistry was hotter because it was romantic, which I'm a big fan of. Sex without romance for me is like, what's the point? <laughs> what? Why are we here? Which is, like, a very, like old school frame of thought it's just who i am as a person um um so like when i see especially like like you said they've been teasing this out since season four i love a good build-up you guys i really love a good build-up i think sexual tension does so much for characters especially when the actors can act they are acting um like easter yes capital a acting with the hard G, like Leighton Meester <laughs> and Penn Badgley were, it does so much to really make it shine on screen. And I think sexual tension does a lot to, um, it's a great trampoline for characters to bounce off of. And it put, that relationship put Blair back in my good graces. <laughs> <laughs> right. So at the beginning of season five, you sort of have Blair is, is Ego Prego, and she's getting married to Louis. And we really see this um, this friendship between Dan and Blair, like, further flourish. Well, friendship turning into, you know, I love, like, well, on Blair's side, it's definitely friendship. On Dan's side, it's it's definitely more, but he's, you know, for the sake of her. And this is why Dan works for the sake of her he keeps it in right like he Mm -hmm. realizes you know dan respects that she's getting married respects that like she has complicated feelings towards chuck and although he feels more he doesn't act on it and he really makes it his priority to be a good friend to her because that's what she needs as a friend and that's why Mm -hmm. dan is so awesome Right, and this is why I'm about to roast the fuck out of Dawson when we do Dawson's Creek next week. Proceed. <laughs> uh, he's he's a really good friend to her because Blair is somebody who um is a big lover of like denial and copes via denial, and 
she uh, can be her own worst enemy at times. And Dan is very much uh, her partner in, in trying to save her from all of that. So much so that like uh, before the book gets published, published, Dan writes, I think, an essay uh, that's supposed to be in The New Yorker um, about that. That's a chapter from the book. And it's about, you know, Dylan Hunter and Claire. Um, <laughs> and he goes to Louis to, like, get it killed because he realizes, like, that's not going to be good for their relationship and it's not going to help anything. And, you know, he sacrifices on her behalf. And it's I just I love it because it's just so what Blair what Blair needs. Um, we also have I also want to bring up really quick. There is that we have a like Louis's sister who comes and tries to break up Blair and Louis, um, and she tries to do it by showing or setting up these events that will show that like Blair is unfit uh, to be a princess. And one of the things that she does is like, she throws Blair this like bachelorette party. And I think this is like post uh, baby or whatever, um, because they throw it and it happens. And while Blair is like drunk off her ass, um, you know, people are always, because, you know, people always say, like, you tell the truth when you're drunk. Uh, it's like the poor man's true serum. Um, while Blair's, like, drunk, drunk off her ass, she, like, Beatrice is sort of like, why are you marrying my brother when I know you don't love him? So, and she's, you know, obviously uh, referencing Chuck. And Blair says something that is so real, that, like, is the realest shit I've ever the realest shit that the show has ever like uh, come up and come out with. And Blair says, I do love Louis. Like I love him. And this is, and Beatrice is like, but you love Chuck more. And, and she goes, and Blair's like, listen, I can't choose who I love, but I can choose how I love them. And she's like, and the fact is, is, and I was like, damn, like, that's real as fuck. Like, that's, and that's real. A lot of y'all need to get on that. You, you, you can't choose, but you can choose how you love somebody. And she sort of being like, Blair realizes that that situation isn't for her anymore. And she's like, nah, like, I can't keep messing with it. Um, and it's just, it's a great moment. It's a great moment. That's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, so also in the season, it does something that's very soap opera-esque by bringing Bart Bass, Chuck's presumably dead father, back from the dead. Um, turns out that Bart Bass was never dead and he was just biding his time like the fucking shark he is. So that happens in season five and it was like, so he's he's like, the the obstacle that Chuck deals with because he realizes very quickly that these years of his father's been dead, not a damn thing has changed, and he's still not going to get this man's support, and they're still going to be at loggerheads. So 
that becomes a whole thing. And we see Chuck threatening. Chuck is on the precipice of becoming the person he was in season one while warring with his father. So that was an interesting plot line for sure. Ugh, I hated that. Like, I just hated that they brought him back from the dead. It's like, it's just one of my least favorite things. What purpose did that serve? I just want to know. Same. Like, I'm just like, it didn't, I was like, what does it, what's the point? Like, what is, what did it serve? Like, how would it, how did it grow? Like, it, it's, it felt like Did you get the bigger house? Did you get the part? <laughs> did, did you get the part? Like, why are we here? How did we get here? And it's, where... it's, I thought it, it, it's reeked of desperation to me. That's it, all I'm going to say. No, it did. It reeked of desperation on the writer's part. Like, they didn't know what else. And that's real. Like, it's like, what else is uh, Chuck? But, like, that's it. He's nothing else. I think they maybe, like, they just realized his, like, uh, character was shallow and like like finally and then they had just run out of stuff because like Blair is no longer in his orbit his dad is no longer in his orbit so what do we do now with this sort of I guess fan favorite character and they couldn't think of anything which is ugh which is just ugh ugh anyway it was yeah. dumb. It was boring. Um, Nate sleeping with Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah, the character is definitely played by Elizabeth Hurley, who is an older woman who works at the Spectator, the newspaper that he works for. Um, Charlie, whose real name is Ivy, is also working there. Um, her identity is revealed to be Ivy later in this season, and she's fucking none other than Doctor Vander Woodson, Serena and Eric's dad. Right. Ooh, like that. Charlie Charlie gets through a lot. It goes through a lot of people cuz I think like in season 6 or later in the season she'll like start having sex with Rufus. I don't know. It's really weird. Yeah, actually. And and here's the thing, like her fucking Rufus was a was a retroactive assassination on the Rufus character. The Rufus character is not someone what? who cheats, he's not even capable of sleeping with someone he's not in love with, and he's not into younger woman, women. But they made him all of these things in, uh, as a means of driving that wedge between them, getting the Vander Woodsons back together, and therefore clearing the path for Serena and Dan to eventually end up back together so that they wouldn't be step-siblings. Like, you're doing a lot. Yeah, it's just a... It's a lot, and... And it doesn't, it's a lot and it doesn't do anything. And it doesn't slap you guys. <laughs> it doesn't slap you guys. Um, and, it, and it's weird because like Ivy jumps to Nate and then she, ugh, I don't know, whatever. It's also whatever. Um, That's the other thing. Like Nate is such a good person that like, it's, it's very, very common in this show for really shitty people to just find their own way out of his lives. He doesn't even have to kick them out. Like, the trash takes itself out when it comes to Nate Archibald, and I'm here for it. Right. Uh, Nate is, like, the only... Listen, that's why, like, I really... Nate really is, like, the only pure person from, like, beginning to end. Anyway. What do we think of season five? Good, bad, or basic? I thought that season five was on the cusp of being good, and it would have been 
if the things that they were setting us up for were the things that had happened. Like, I wanted Rufus and Lily to stay together. I wanted Blair and Dan to stay together. I wanted Chuck to get his shit together and build his empire and just be fucking single. I wanted Serena to get her shit together and just be fucking single. I wanted Jenny Humphrey to be vindicated. Why the fuck was Billy Baldwin invited? Who invited him? Like, he had been around since season four, I think, as like their dad. Right. But, um, in this season later on, he starts sleeping with, uh, Charlie, who's really Ivy. And that becomes like a whole thing. And I think then Rufus sleeps with her. It's a whole thing. It's a clusterfuck. It's really, really, really bad. It's so dynasty meets days of our lives. I'm over it. I think season five was just really bad. Mm, right. So, and the thing, and the thing about season five that's annoying is like, it's like you said, like they sort of, they're getting this last season, season six. It's barely a season. It's eight episodes. And the show is essentially like rushing to, put everybody back at like a sort of like one or like you know zero um in order to essentially like fan service to to fan service for the last season um which is annoying because i really because something that was strong about the oc is that that Gossip Girl doesn't do, or that I think Gossip Girl attempts to do, but fails, is that the OC, like, really just um, did what it wanted in terms of, like, how these stories developed, and I, and you don't, and you don't, and it resolves, ultimately, at the end, in a way that, like, you would not have thought it would have resolved, resolved. So, like, on the OC, Ryan goes to college by himself and Marissa's dead and Seth and Summer end up together, but then Sandy and Kirsten leave Newport and that all feels, and it, and when you watch it and Taylor goes on to be, you know, Taylor, um, and when you watch it all in its entirety, like that ending feels right because it just feels like the natural progression of the story. Um, and I guess gossip and, but gossip girl doesn't do that. It, it works to try to, uh, resolve these stories in the way that, um, we like the fans, I guess would have quote unquote wanted. So Chuck and Blair get married, which is horrific. And, um, Dan and Serena end up together, which is dumb. And Lily and Rufus um, are separate, uh, are separate, um, are like are divorced, but I guess are with happy with other people, which actually feels right to me. But um, yeah, um, she and Dr. Vander Woodson are back together again. Together. Dan, and Se- Dan and Serena are getting married. It's a lot. Like, here's the thing. I was never, like, rooting for Lily and Rufus in that way. So that didn't bother me. What bothered me is how the Billy Baldwin character 
is now um, being rebranded um, the way that Chuck was rebranded and all these men go through these rebrands and it's like, let's resuscitate all the ancient daddies, Bart Bass, Dr. Vander Woodson, just throw them back on the show for no fucking reason whatsoever, just to stir the pot because it's easier than writing drama and internal conflict in the characters we've already established. Um, so in season six, um, you know, that's what happens. Um, Blair and Chuck, um, get married and they get married in a fashion that is so typical of their relationship when they say their I do's literally by the skin of their teeth before the law comes down on on Chuck, um, which is so like it, it's just it's just quintessential of their relationship thus far. And it's almost like a foreshadow that she's going to be putting up with his shit for the rest of her life. Um, right. And then so, yeah. oh, they assassinate Nate's character and they have Nate sleeping with a high schooler, which I don't even acknowledge, to be kind of honest. Yeah. Again, why was that even necessary? Why was it necessary? Why is that a thing? Make it stop. It's horrible. Nate would never do that. Ugh. I mean, Chuck Bass of everyone on the show and would Dr. Vander Woodson, to be honest, would be the most likely to do that. But I think the biggest character assassination is actually the character of Dan Humphrey, who in season six is revealed to be Gossip Girl. Yeah, I could have kept Gossip Girl a fucking mystery because right now that's the last thing we care about. But making Dan Gossip Girl retroactively makes him a piece of shit. But also, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it does not make any sense from, like, a narrative, like, point. Like, nowhere. like, we acknowledge it doesn't make any sense, but I'm talking about, like, it doesn't make any sense, but they did it, okay? They did it. There's, like, no getting around the fact that it was done. The fact that it was done makes Dan retroactively shitty. He's a person with no loyalties, with no compunction, with um, no sense of discretion whatsoever. He's put everybody on blast, including his own baby sister. So, um yeah doing right, this like, is the worst thing they could have done to dan as a character because if they like because if they're like oh dan is gossip girl that means like dan like publicly commented on like the status of his little sister's virginity which is like what that doesn't make any that's gross that doesn't track with like anything we've ever known about him as a character it doesn't track with anything they've like set up set up for the past season like previous seasons it 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 is exactly what it feels like which is like which is that they put like all the cast photos on a wall and they played darts and whoever like (laughs) and whoever the dart landed on they were just like okay that'll be gossip girl like right that's exactly what it feels like Here's the thing. Making any member of the main cast Gossip Girl was bullshit. If you had to make a member of the main cast Gossip Girl, um, well, not main, but like it's a character on the outskirts, I would have made it either Serena's younger brother, Eric, or Georgina Sparks. Making it one of the main cast makes no fucking sense, Um, especially it being Dan Humphrey, because... Dan Humphrey is someone that a lot of people trusted with their secrets. So the fact that he's Gossip Girl makes him a shit person. But from a 
a, a, a sensical, logical point of view, as Alex said, it makes no sense because he's literally there in the room surrounded by people when they're getting these gossip girl blasts. Does right. he have a double? Does he have a fucking clone? I guess like maybe he maybe he like put it on a timer, but like, come on. Like, no, it just doesn't make any sense. He'd have to be psychic for that to work. Because so, Gossip right, Girl was like, playing shit out the moment it dropped. Dropped. Like <laughs> it would in fact like it would probably and i would have liked it more if like it would if it had been like one of blair's minions or something like if that was gossip girl i'd be like oh that's funny like or something like if they had had like a minion that like was with blair all through like high school and then continued with her at columbia and then like we always just sort of saw this person around Mm -hmm the way we sort of see Blair's minions around. If they had, if that had been it, I'd have been like, okay, that's funny. Like, yeah, I could have fucked with that. And like I said, I could have fucked, fucked with, with it being Dorota. No, I couldn't have fucked with it being Dorota because that would mean that Dorota betrayed Blair. And she's like the one person Blair completely trusts. Oh, that's fair. Right. So I could fuck with it being one of Blair's minions. If they had built up this character, someone who was always around, like Alex said, I could have fucked with it being, um, Eric Vanderwoodson, who had a lot of time on his hands every time he had to go to rehab for suicidal thoughts and depression. I could have fucked with it being Georgina Sparks. And if it had to be a member of the main cast, I could have actually fucked with it being Serena. Because she is a type of character that you can very easily code as wanting any attention, even negative attention. And she's kind of a shitty friend, so it's sort of believable. Right. And then when Serena does take over, because there's this like... Because there is this, like, small plot in season five when Serena, like, where where Georgina, I guess Gossip Girl, has lost her laptop. Um, which, even just the beginnings of this is dumb. But, like, Gossip Girl has lost her laptop and Georgina is, like, is Gossip Girl for a period. And then Georgina hands over, hands over... She hands a Serena Gossip Girl's laptop, and then Serena is Gossip Girl for a period. And when it, but even just bringing Gossip Girl into the real, like, into, I think, the narrative, like, the, into the narrative as, like, an actual person versus just letting her, like, stay this, like, random omniscient voice is dumb. Because I think this, I think the stronger mm-hmm. and like everybody shows up, like everybody from like the, the principal cast and like the supporting cast and people that would like, even like the minions, like everybody shows up to this bar and then they all get this phone. They all get this blast um, on, they all get a gossip girl blast on their phone. And it says um, gossip and the gossip girl says like, you like you said you were looking for gossip girl well look around this is it and that i thought was like really smart really great and like i think it said a and i think it said a lot about like just how we live in a time where like that's real like um gossip girls like look around you are all gossip girl because i couldn't do any of this without you because you're the ones that are always sending me tips you are the ones that are like ratting on each other Right. Because that was a thing that like people could send gossip girl tips and photos and stuff. And like 
all she does is just post. All she does is like fact check and post. So, right. um, so they're like the paparazzi. Right. And so I like, and I liked that idea because I do think it's very like, it's a significant idea of like the time that we live in, in terms of like, there is nowhere that like you can hide really, because as long as somebody has like a phone in their hand, like you're being watched and like it, and there is like this undercurrent, uh, there is this undercurrent about like, you know, surveillance culture. That was interesting. It's like, it's a small sliver of brilliance. And then the show just goes back on it. And I'm like, why you like, it was so smart. Like, why couldn't you just be smart for once? Right. Um, they really didn't need to show like, this is not pretty little liars where we are invested in who a is. Cause this is a person who's like out here killing folks, manipulating folks, blackmailing folks, extorting folks. It's not the same. It's not the same. We it's don't need right. to know who Gossip Girl is. Is <laughs> and it's and the biggest difference in and like the biggest difference between like I think a Pretty Little Liars like an A and a Gossip or like the biggest difference between like an A and a Gossip Girl is like you know we see A right like those ha- like at the in the end credits those glove black gloves black gloved hands come out and you know set up like a new sort of like toy or like cut off a doll head or something you know creepy right so like we like so like you've already so by like even just the act of like putting these sort of like bodiless hands into like a frame and have a, a visual of somebody actively doing something I think is way more significant um, than just, like, it's, this this voice, that this nonsensical voice that, like, hasn't said, like, a real sentence in, like, three or four seasons. <laughs> right. And it's not even bodiless hands. We see A moving, like, their entire body. They're dressed all in black. They're wearing the gloves. They're wearing, like, a black cap that covers everything. And we see them moving, like... Like, we see them in an entire room. We see them looking at a board of pictures of these girls. We see them opening the door to this cabin and who the fuck knows where. We see them, like, sitting in a car across the street watching them. Like, A is not a group delusion. And they're certainly not sending out this information for A to know. A is someone watching them. A is someone stalking them. Even if A literally did nothing else but stalk them, A is a real fucking problem in a way that Gossip Girl could never be. We don't need to know who Gossip Girl is. These hoes can't shut the fuck up about their personal lives. They are Gossip Girl. <laughs> right. Like, they're Gossip Girl. And in, fa- like, in fact, it, it reminds me of, like, watching Gossip Girl and, like, watching them use Gossip Girl like and how they send tips in and, like, how they how people sort of like inform on each other. I'm sort of like, damn, this is like what the Kardashians do. Like, like, like high like, key. Yes. High, high key. I was like, so this is like a day in the life of Chris Jenner. Interesting. I'm fascinated. Like, <laughs> like, listen, it's the truth though. It's the truth though. And it's not even like informing on themselves, right? They do the thing where, like, they hate Gossip Girl until they have some tea to spill on someone else, and they'll be the first one to run and snitch. Right. <laughs> they'll be the first. 
to snitch. Like, you hated her yesterday when she was putting your shit on blast, but now it's time for someone else's shit to get exposed. You can't text fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. Like, when, like, when, um, oh gosh, when, when Blair, like, the first time that Blair really pisses Chuck off, and he's like, um, and she's like, oh, I'm done with you. Like, I mean, the way his fingers fly over that keyboard to tell Gossip Girl that she's been fucking him and Nate. Like, oh, my God. Right. So I'm like, Gossip Girl's not this this seemingly omniscient stalker presence um, that A was. Because A was a person who had assembled the team, which was really, really smart, first of all, to show us why A is everywhere at once. But A was also really, really calculating and really, really intelligent in a way that A set up surveillance on these girls in the least expected people and in the least expected places in a way that Gossip Girl never did. Like, Gossip Girl was never this omnipresent, omniscient being. Y'all told her everything. Right, y'all. So that's so. Why? Why do I like? Don't. We don't need to know. I don't need, we to, don't know. need to know. I don't care. <laughs> like, shut up. Like, I get that. Like, fans. Like, I get that there were like a subset of vocal fans that were like, "Who is Gossip Girl?" But like, don't listen to them. They're dumb. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, I mean this from the bottom of my fucking heart. like the very bottom the deepest depths of my soul you guys fuck the fans (laughs) like listen you don't listen you're not running this show like i get it when we're talking about real issues of character development plot pasting the way queer characters or characters of color are treated these are valid critiques you are not owed the closure that you think you're owed on these shows you're lucky that shit lasted more than one season i'm still grieving my so-called life getting canceled after season one you're not owed the closure that you think you're owed you're not owed the answer that you answers that you think you're owed and sometimes leaving those holes and leaving those loose threads can be a point of intrigue that gives a show a level of sophistication that it needs. And this show desperately needed that. And these whiny-ass fans and these spineless writers took that away from it. Right, and listen, I think it's just like a... It's like art in the time of Twitter. And I get it. I get that, like... I get that it's hard, and I get that, like, you're... It's hard because... your show is dependent upon your show getting another season or like getting more runs or like being interesting is, is dependent on you, but it's also dependent on like fan reception. And if people stop watching, well then that's your show. Like you're getting canceled. Like it's over, but you've got to, as a creator, you've got to understand how to filter the bad notes and how, and how to filter the bad fans. Like you just have to, and like because right, bad fans are a thing. We've talked about this. How like you have fans, but like you know, you have these people who ship Spike and Buffy, thinking like that's that's the wave. When you know, good God, well, it isn't. You as a creator, you've got to like 
really have a strong sense of like knowing your vision, knowing what you want and, and, and being able to, to filter all um, and filter the bad and and know what's good crit crit and what's bad crit from like a public sphere because there are good criticisms that come from the public sphere right listen the person who is a master at this is Beyonce <laughs> low key no low key Beyonce is really good at like because Beyonce doesn't inherit and this is something that um House Mother like uh has on Twitter he said he said you know. Beyonce understand Beyonce doesn't innately think that like every every criticism is like an attack on her and what she's excellent at doing is like filtering all the shit that's like hateration and then getting to the shit that like makes sense so like right and you know like Alex said a lot of criticism is valid I've mentioned you know what type plot pacing character usage um issues with um any internalized or overt biases like queer phobia or um passive racism but we did not need to know who gossip girl was um and here's where the show fucked up by telling us who gossip girl was they gave us absolutely no reason to ever rewatch the show oh because because if we did know who Gossip Girl was, you could it's a show you could watch again and again and just spin out tons of different theories about who Gossip Girl might be, as we did um, when we, you know, put our little rewrites on it. Like, oh, this would be a good Gossip Girl. This person would be a good Gossip Girl. You solved all the mystery in a show that was a clusterfuck um, from pretty much the first season through the sixth season and just... Um, big up a lot of toxic relationships what else is there why am i here right right um there just needed to be i think what gossip girl essentially like i think a big part of like um what gossip girl lost like in its run is that like i don't know that the show ever got like what is it real? What does this show like really about? Like, like in a big thematic way. Like, of course, it's about these group of uh, of rich kids, and they're doing all this stuff, and all this stuff is happening. But like, what is the show really about? Because, like, I yeah, I just didn't think the show ever got like a big handle on like its themes. Whereas I, whereas I feel like the OC did. I think the OC had a lot to say about class and the nature of class and like how stratified class is and how like I think how one how like and how completely like your life can change just by the presence or the lack or the absence of money um and Gossip Girl just never, and uh, I think uh, OC had a lot to say about family and trauma and how, and how like, the different ways trauma, like, uh, sticks with us, even when we think it's gone. I think OC had a lot to say about, like, healing. And, and I never, 
and that's I think one of the biggest things in this rewatch I never really got what Gossip Girl was like trying to say you know um I agree with that um but for me I thought that that was the point of Gossip Girl that it was the antithesis of a show like the OC in the first review I talked about how this show was kind of like a love letter to the Upper East Side in the way that the OC was a love letter to California now traditionally New York has been seen as this cultural, intellectual epicenter, and like California is just a shallow, sunny place where beach bums and failed actresses go to die. And with the OC and um, Gossip Girl, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage subverted that. They made, you know, Newport Beach, this place, this deep intellectual hub where people cared about family and community and accountability. And on Gossip Girl, it was a place where people threw their money around. They flaunted their class privilege. They really didn't care about anything but getting on and being seen by the right people and being in the right places. Accountability, what's that? Uh, you know, forgiveness, what's that? Family, barely. And it was really, really interesting to see them not go to the stereotypical view of New York and this very stereotypical view of of Southern California, because it would have been so easy to put the characters of Gossip Girl in Newport Beach and put the characters of the OC in New York. Right. But at the end of the day, Gossip Girl is a teen drama. It's not a mystery. Gossip Girl was not a mystery that needed to be solved. No. Right. <laughs> like, stop. Please stop. Um, so season six was beyond basic. Like, basic to to the infinity. Exponential. Yeah, it was. It's. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's bad. I would categorize it as, like, definitively bad um i don't even think personally their episodes like worth watching from it like i think you should watch the series finale um i think just for the sake of it uh but i don't think there's anything in there that's like must see beyond the season finale uh yeah i agree except i include the season finale um the season finale for me was a nail in the coffin that just cemented all of these poor writing decisions that had preceded it. <laughs> so I wasn't even trying to see the finale, to be very honest with you. Right. I just, <clears throat> it's, it's just, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it, it did things. Yeah. We weren't always sure what it was doing, but doing. it did something. <laughs> but it did something. Yeah, I think if you want to watch, like, the season opener, like, that season, season six, episode one, and then just to see how everything, res- I think, really resolved at- from season five, and then season six, episode ten, um, New York, I love you, XOXO. That's 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 it. That's that's good. You you've you've accomplished. You've done it. Right. Um. Absolutely. I agree with that. So yeah, that's all we had to say about Gossip Girl. It did things. I guess it's there. It's you know. It's still. It's still. You know. I would say in the in my mass rewatch, I 
it's good for specific moments. Like I think Gossip Girl is like one of those shows that like is is good. Like it does. Like there's just moments that like really work. Like there are just these small moments within the episodes that work. And I think if you are like a writer, I think it's good to watch Gossip Girl to like find the, those small moments that work and then learn from it in the sense of like really to really take home like or to really meditate on like why does this of like why does this work why does this moment work versus this other one that doesn't and because I think if you can nail those things if you can sort of think through that you you can learn like a lot and you do learn a lot I think Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that, but f- more for me, I think Gossip Girl succeeded because the cast was good looking, makeup and hair was always on point, they were very well dressed, and, you know, going back to something you said earlier about the Kardashians, the show debuted in 2007, and Kardashian craze was still in its, you know, like, was, was had really taken off the Kardashians were a household name by this point, and I absolutely think the show's showrunners and writers understood innately that poor people really, really, really like watching rich people be rich and unapologetically rich. Right, absolutely. (laughs) Gossip Girl definitely came on to that, like, still sort of, um, like, like, when escapism, like, in this way was, like, something that was still valuable to like a to audience like i don't think you could redo gossip girl right now to be honest um with the amount of little girls who are following kylie jenner and kendall jenner on on their instagram still i think it could be done it would just need to be a little bit more racially diverse as all tweaks like i said i think they need more racial diversity and I think that they need to make, like, um, a character like um, um, Blair a little less intelligent and a character like Serena um, a little bit kinder. Like, portray her as a better friend, make her more of an Elena-type character who, you know, at least pretends to care about their friends. Um, and it could be done. You know, these just excessively wealthy kids, I think a lot of Gen Zs would want to live vicariously through that. Um, I don't think that generation, unfortunately, is as woke as we would want them to be. I think I, I think it could be done with some tweaks. I'll just say that. I'll, I think it could be done with, with a few tweaks here and there. But that excessively wealthy, engaging with an excessively wealthy cast like that, I definitely think it's something that would be a guilty pleasure for a lot of people. Um, I don't think a lot of people might admit to how much they love Gossip Girl at first, but they would absolutely be watching it. Well, I mean, I guess we'll see. HBO Max is on track for the revival. Uh, it'll be on HBO Max um, coming, I think, within the next two years. Um, and I do know that they've, like, announced that there's going to be, like, I think a significant Instagram component of the new sh- Gossip Girl. So we'll see. All right. Uh, I want to see that. Um, I'm not going to watch the show, but I want to see the reactions to the show. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Like, uh, I think a big part of what made OG Gossip Girl work is the actors. Um, And there you have it, folks. This is 
everything that made the back half of Gossip Girl good, bad, basic, and unforgettable. Gossip Girl didn't have the best writing, pacing, or direction, but it had a pretty cast, a couple of strong actors, and just enough of the right stuff to make this work, cementing the show's legacy and place in modern pop culture. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our patrons-exclusive Gossip Girl-inspired Spotify playlist and tune in next week when we'll be discussing the quintessential teen drama Dawson's Creek. (laughs) Until then, look out for GBB's first ever movie review, which airs this Saturday. Em and I will be discussing the beloved coming of age drama Now and Then, which is currently airing uh, streaming on Netflix. A bonus top tier patrons only GBB movie reviews will deal with casting, writing, plot, pacing, cinematography, and the usage of common cinematic tropes in the films that we love. You were talking really fast just then. I know, because it's a big paragraph. Um, if you um, haven't already, be sure to check out our patrons-exclusive Gossip Girl-inspired Spotify playlist. And tune in next week when we'll be discussing the quintessential teen drama Dawson's Creek. Until then, look out for GBB's first-ever movie review, which airs this Saturday. Em and I will be discussing the beloved coming-of-age drama Now and Then, which is currently streaming on Netflix. A bonus for top-tier patrons only, GBB's movie reviews will deal with casting, writing, plot, pacing, cinematography, and the usage of common cinematic tropes in the films that we love. If you want to catch up on Gossip Girl or re-watch it, the show is currently streaming on Netflix. And if you want to get ahead of our Dawson's Creek recap, Dawson's Creek is currently streaming on Hulu. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic Pod on Spotify to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. If you love this sort of content, spread the word and become a show producer and patron on Patreon. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly content as well as exclusive bonus material. As always, be sure to check out our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. And of course, be sure to follow us at Good Bad Basic Pod on Twitter. Until next time. XOXO. Bye, girl. Bye. Bye, everyone.